Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Wish a few and with that, we welcome you to Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon as Governor Reeves' press conference comes to an end. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Uh, the Seaspire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395 is the number at Seaspire. they got a lot going on right now. And they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. What's up, everybody? Hey, Borky. Man, feeling good for a couple of reasons. But most importantly, the uh, the study that I'm sure you're going to reference here in a little bit out of Louisville, very positive uh, anti-coronavirus news uh, coming out of that great university. We should just give them a bid to the playoffs one year as restitution for all their hard work. And also the NFL draft. <laughs> <laughs> just give it to them. I mean, it's not like they'd be any less competitive than Oklahoma was last year. Um, and, and then also the NFL draft tomorrow. So... We've done, I think, a really good job of keeping fresh and and new content since this whole thing broke out. But a lot of the sports stories, the things that break, are directly tied to either A, this is happening because coronavirus, or B, this may not happen because coronavirus. And for the next three days starting tomorrow, we have a sports story that is without a caveat. It'll look a little different because they'll be doing it like through video calls and not in Vegas. But at least for three days, it's just a sports story. It's a sports story that is happening in front of our eyes uh, that has not at least been dramatically changed by the virus, and it's really happening. No distractions, no caveat, just three days of actual sports content to consume, and I'm really looking forward to that. And in reality, out of our group of four here on Sports Talk Mississippi, I'm probably the... the um, I'm not saying this the right way, but in terms of NFL fandom, I probably rank fourth out of the four of us. Borky, you are a huge Saints fan. Uh, So is Haydad. Rippy loves the NFL. Titans fan. I like the NFL, and I watch it, and have been you know, a Giants fan uh, basically in the time that coincides with Eli Manning as the quarterback of the Giants. We've kind of kicked around whether or not I'm going to continue to be a Giants fan, or maybe it's time for me to kind of jump on board the, uh, the Saints uh, train and, and kind of stick with that going forward because it makes more sense geographically. I, I don't know. But even with that said, I'm excited about the draft, and we're going to talk a ton of NFL over the next three days because that's what's going on, and it is real sports news. And I'm looking forward to that. I, I hope you guys are as well. Hey, Dad, what's up with you? Eh, not much today. Just another nice day up here in Starkville. Like I said, uh, if the if the weather and the world situation would come together, we would be in a, in a great place right now because it's it's fantastic up here. But unfortunately, it's it's not not the case. Yeah, and uh, we've got some uh, some rain and maybe even some uh, semi severe storms that are going to be moving through the state of Mississippi today. But it looks like it's going to be mostly good for the weekend ahead. 
Uh, Rippy, I have it on good authority that uh, masks were delivered to the studio there. So are you broadcasting with a mask on today? Uh, no, I have not seen any masks. But I'm only there in my supposed back to be a mask. I was thinking that there was a mask that was left for you on the desk there. No? Oh, yeah, it is next. I didn't even notice it. Cool. There you go. You, you, you should put that on and wear it for the uh, video stream portion of the uh, of the show this afternoon. Yeah, probably not, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Good to know that you've uh, you've got it there. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, picking up the slack uh, yesterday while I had a uh, an emergency dental procedure uh, that was going on. My thanks to Dr. Andrew Ross in Oxford at uh, Ross Family Dental for taking care of me. So do you guys do you have a particular like phobia of going to the dentist or are you good with that I'm okay with the dentist uh, I hate I've got real bad allergy problems we've talked about that a lot the ENT drives yeah. me nuts because they're always like putting stuff up there if I have to get the coronavirus test I'm in trouble like you're gonna have to hold me down to get something <laughs> all the way up there I'm not kidding uh, so I, I feel you just different doctor. Yeah, so uh, so Dr. Ross took care of me yesterday. I have a uh, what the the so I, I'm gonna mess this up in turn. I'm clearly not a dentist. So I had my wisdom teeth taken out when I was in high school, and for about twelve years, we've been keeping an eye on. I guess it's the the back top left molar that, that's been there, and it was. Uh, I had a dentist tell me a long time ago. Um, that, look, let's just watch that tooth, and if it ever gets to the point where it's bothering you, then we'll just pull it. You know, no no reason to get a root canal on that or try and put a crown on it or cap it or whatever. We'll just get That tooth serves no function for you. Nobody will ever see that you're missing a tooth when you smile or whatever. So it finally got to the point where it was bothering me. And, like, there was a low-grade headache that was kind of like you could feel it in your eye that wouldn't go away, and I'd been doing that for a couple of weeks. So I went in and... All local anesthetic, not going under or anything like that. So they numb it, and then they do all the shots around it, you know, after they put, like, the local anesthetic on it to kind of numb the area. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been through a procedure like that or not. So Dr. Ross has got, you know, his little, uh, he's got his regular glasses on, and then he's got his, we'll call them surgical glasses. I guess they're like, uh, um, oh, what, what's it, magnifying, like built-in magnifying glasses. So I'm looking up, and I can actually see into those lenses almost like they're a mirror. So, Borky, I'm getting to watch this procedure. And a tooth extraction, it's kind of like a brute force thing. It's not uh, It's not like a, a gentle, we're just kind of prodding and poking around. I mean, kind of. They, they've got special pliers to do it, but basically just reach in there and yank it out. Do you have any idea how big one of the molars is when they pull that out? Like, the whole thing? It's huge. It's massive. It's huge. That's a big tooth that goes all the way up in there. Anyway, um, Dr. Ross gave me very encouraging words. He said, Richard, no pain here, just a lot of pressure. And it's that's why I kind of went back to the brute force thing. I mean, it's basically clamping onto that thing and wiggling it around and then yanking it out. And here I am, 24 hours later, talking on the radio. So uh, pretty good work uh, work there. Any pain? Did anybody get squeamish while I was talking about that? Not squeamish so much. Just like just picturing it, I was just like, yeah. 
Yeah. That's kind of how I was, because I just assumed that I'd just sit there with my eyes closed and it would be done and it was over and it's time to move on. But being able to watch it, that was um, just kind of a, like an, almost an added bonus there. <laughs> you know, if there's yeah, no real I got pain different that definitions goes along of bonus, it. but okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody says, what the heck are we talking about here? Uh, yeah, sorry, just kind of sharing... Um, Sharing the experience. Tom says, had my wisdom teeth extracted last year. Really strange experience. Grossest part was the sound when the tooth actually let go and started to come out. Yeah. Okay, uh, now, I'm with now you we're on that. Squeamish. Now, now the squeamishness uh, is Mike, M- Mike in Ground Bay on the C Spire text, uh, text line says, mouth crowbar. Wade in Jackson wants to know if you were gripping the armrest. No, I just kind of laid there. So, anyway. That's enough of my story. That's why I missed yesterday. And just, you know, what else do we have to talk about? So uh, kind of sharing that with you. Anything there is else. something that we have to talk about. <laughs> you say anything but? <laughs> Literally anything else would have been better. But go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the, the good doctor told me yesterday, he said, um, by the way, he said, no pain right now. He said, but when all of the numbness wears off, it's going to feel like I punched you in the side of the face. Hasn't really been that bad. Like, there's a little bit of a sensation there and a big old hole in the back of my mouth. But otherwise, not uh, not so bad. Rippy, you're being eerily quiet. Sounds pretty pretty painful. Just not dynamite and drop in, Monty. Yeah. I'm surprised your I mean, dentist didn't have a name that, you know, fit what he did. I'm sorry I do not have a nuanced take on this, but glad you're able to speak. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, uh, me too. You uh, you want to be part of the show, you can do so on the ceasefire text line. Here's the story that Borky was referencing a second ago, and we'll dive a little deeper into this as, uh, as time permits. University of Louisville researchers have developed a technology that is believed to block novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, from infecting human cells. The technology is based on a piece of synthetic DNA, which is called an Aptamer or an Aptamer, A-P-T-A-M-E-R. And what this does is it it targets and binds with a human protein called nucleolin. Borky, I, I feel like I'm probably butchering all of these words. Well, the important thing is what it does. Even if we don't get the words right, it's what the words do to this virus and what they mean. Yeah. Okay, so early tests show that this optimer may stop viruses, including novel coronavirus, from hijacking nucleolin to replicate inside the body. University of Louisville is seeking to fast-track development, including application to the Food and Drug Administration for approval to start treating patients seriously affected with COVID-19. Uh, this optimer was discovered by... U of L's Paula Bates, John Trent, and Don Miller, who have applied it in a variety of ways, most notably as a potential therapeutic drug against multiple types of cancer. And with the current global pandemic, COVID-19, they have partnered with a uh, another researcher to apply the uh, technology once again. Here's the quote that goes along with this, and then I'll kind of leave it here. Like many scientists, as soon as I heard about the new coronavirus, I wanted to help and started to think about how my area of research might intersect with coronavirus research efforts. I'm fortunate to be at UofL, which is one of the few places in the country where we have the facilities 
to do experiments using SARS-CoV-2 virus. He is uh, uh, Palmer, the uh, one of the other people that they brought into the study. Kenneth Palmer is the director of the University of Louisville Center for Predictive Medicine for Biodefense and Emerging Infectious Diseases. That's a mouthful. He's probably a pretty smart Is this guy. going to work? I hope so. It Your feels first, like one of like, those, you know, what do you have to lose kind of things. Well, my first question would be, like, unlike a, like, the the thing at Pitt was a drug, correct? They were doing a vaccine. Yeah, vaccine. So, like, how, like, what's the, if this is able to work, is 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 this an expedite, expedited timeline to, you know, being able to gather again was my first question. I read the thing from Louisville, but I wasn't able to gather anything from that. A lot of big words in there, too. <laughs> we're learning on the fly. I you're a doctor. You should be able to get through that pretty easy. <laughs> From some context way, I saw, the answer to that question, if this does work, would be yes. Like how? But do you know how? Like how? How? How soon? I guess are we talking here? I mean, they're already tra- they're trying to get fast tracked approval. It could be. I don't know. Actually, I saw a couple of people reference months. A couple months. Now that is uh Now you're cooking with gas because like vaccine, now we're on to something. It, yeah, if you ever get one, vaccines, what, 12, 18 months, best case scenario, right? Yeah. So this is could be a game changer. Could be. That's why they need a playoff spot. <laughs> if the University of Louisville's doctors come up with a way that we can adequately defense against coronavirus, then they deserve a spot in the playoff. I don't care what the record is. I mean, Scott Satterfield might have them you know, good enough to be in the conversation for a playoff anyway, competing for an ACC one game title. Game plan, he'll, he'll win. I'm for it. By the way, my wife does uh, not condone the uh, last 10 minutes of conversation from me. She says, stop, you cannot talk about yanking your tooth out on the radio, and then followed it up with, and, and remember she has a, a farm D. she said, we can have a lesson on pronouncing medical words before you speak again. <laughs> Worst things have been said on this show. Yeah, I think it's more authentic anyway that we, a bunch of sports guys, don't know what it is. We just know that it's good. This show has never been into phonetics either. No. That's a. Like, uh, that's true. Kwanzai Martin. Kwanzo. Kwanzo. Utah. <laughs> Oregon. No, it's Oregon. Sorry. Not Oregon. Mississippi. See, you can't even you can't even pronounce correctly the you mispronunciation. Can't mispronounce Rippy. the Come mispronounced on. words correctly, Rippy. My God. <laughs> All right. Fun and games, fun and games. Bill Bender is going to uh, join us in about half an hour from the Sporting News on the Farm Bureau phone line. Don't forget to check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We're going to talk with John Harris tomorrow. John from the uh, Houston Texans. He will be uh, part of the draft coverage in Houston for that particular organization. We'll talk a little bit with him about what he expects to see. And then we'll get into this this afternoon. Is Justin Herbert really going to go ahead of Tua Tonga-Vailoa? Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Plenty of time remaining on this Wednesday. We'll be right back.
Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm on this Wednesday afternoon, the 22nd of April. Borky, how about a poll question? Yeah, we'll start with um, an NFL draft one. You've seen reports, and it could be smoke screens out today, but the Dolphins trading up uh, to draft an offensive tackle. So who goes first in the draft, uh, considering all the movement? Is it Tua or Justin Herbert? Mm. Simple poll question. Who goes first in the draft tomorrow night in the first round? Tua Tonga-Vailoa out of Alabama or Justin Herbert out of Oregon? So how do you, what, what do you believe right now in, in terms of the reports that are out there? I mean, Miami had a pretty good offensive tackle, didn't they? That they traded away? Yeah, see, I think that's, that's a smokescreen, right? And there's also, there was the one floated out about Miami trading uh, their number five pick for Leonard Fournette in the number 29 pick or something like that. Just an absurd trade proposition. I don't think the Dolphins are going anywhere, and I think they're drafting Tua, but they're throwing all this stuff out there as like some kind of smokescreen to force maybe somebody else to trade up or give them some crazy offer. I can't figure it out. But trading up from five to three to get a tackle doesn't make any sense at all to me. What do you think, Hayden? It does. It feels like what Borky said, like a smoke screen. It feels like they're just going to throw out as much stuff to see if if they can get any kind of takers for some sort of godfather offer of somebody who just they feel at five uh, that they can get what they want. Uh, maybe, you know, it might be a situation where it just – and that's going to be interesting with the way they're doing the draft. Is going to be, you know, are their phones going to be working, and how, how are they going to work, you know, potential trades out? But this could be something that like the clock runs all the way down on, and they have to finally make a decision. First pick of the draft belongs to the Cincinnati Bengals. There is absolutely no drama whatsoever as to what they are going to do. They are going to take Joe Burrow. There is going to be a great celebration in Cincinnati, and. After, you know, people... There hasn't been much drama surrounding that first pick, but you have had the people that try to manufacture drama and talk about, well, you know... When you've got a clear number one, it seems like every year, maybe Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning notwithstanding in recent years, there's always some sort of a campaign to pick apart and talk about the deficiencies of the likely number one overall pick. But it just feels like those this year have been manufactured. Like, like nobody's really believed anything that they were saying about Joe Burrow. D- do you guys feel like there's been a point where there was a legitimate, yeah, Cincinnati might be thinking about doing something else? Not since about, well, not, not Cincinnati, but you know when they're talking about first pick, probably going all the way back to the first few weeks of November, that's when it was locked in that Burrow was going to be the guy. So I don't believe any – if anybody said anything since then, no, I, I haven't bought into it. So no drama at number one with Cincinnati. Joe Burrow's headed there. Is there any drama, any question in your mind that the Washington Redskins, who are one of the more poorly run franchises in the NFL, because they have a – an owner that doesn't do a very good job in Dan Snyder. Is there any doubt in your mind that Chase Young goes at number two to Washington? Yes. For yeah, two, is there really? definite doubt there. For, for two reasons. One, you just mentioned it. Snyder, if he can mess it up, he will. 
But secondly, there's been some talk about people who, you know, more recently, maybe less recently, I should say, moving up to try to get Tua there. So, possible. Hey. I heard a debate last night, and, and, and I think it was a reasonable one. It wasn't a ton of debate. It was Mel Kuyper that was talking about this, responding to a question from uh, from Scott Van Pelt about whether or not Chase Young has the potential to have a more impactful rookie season than um, Joey Bosa had this past year. And it's a fascinating question. You know, Bosa was the one who was, you know, he was at Ohio State and then he got hurt and there was some talk as to whether or not he could come back and then he just shut it completely down. And it turned out to absolutely be the right decision for him. He gets drafted high and he turns into a huge impact player uh, in in year number one. Do you feel the same way about Chase Young out of Ohio State as you did about Bosa a year ago? He was just so dominant. I, it, Both of them were. They, they really were. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to distinguish the two. And, and maybe he does end up busting, but, I mean, my goodness, you had multiple, and not just like anybody, not when Florida Atlantic went up there or something, but like Wisconsin doubled and tripled him and gave up sacks. And that's an offensive lineman factory. The guy's unbelievable. What does Detroit do at number three? Well, if Chase Young is still there, they they can't run to the the computer fast enough to get him, I would think. Yeah, that's true. Unless the internet connection freezes. Yeah. Beyond that, this this feels like a spot for a trade. If, If somebody wants to jump up and get the quarterback. Be it Tua or Herbert. I thought this morning on Get Up, Dan Orlovsky made a really, really compelling argument for Tua Tonga-Vailoa over Justin Herbert. And his argument was this. Would you prefer to have Deshaun Watson or Mitch Trubisky? Would you prefer to have... Carson Wentz or Mitch Trubisky? And the obvious answer to both of those questions is, well, you would prefer to have Deshaun Watson. You would prefer to have... um, Oh, who did I just say? Carson Uh, Wentz. Carson Wentz. You, You would prefer both of those guys over Mitch Trubisky. Well, Why do you mention those two guys? Because they've both missed significant time to injury in their relatively short NFL careers. So why would you take Deshaun Watson over Mitch Trubisky? Because he's better. He makes more plays. He has a much greater upside. Why would you take Carson Wentz over Mitch Trubisky? Because he is a better quarterback. So why would you take Tua over Justin Herbert? Because he's better. The upside is bigger. Okay, yes, maybe there's a little bit of a history of injury there. Guess what? Guys miss games for being injured. It's just how it goes. It's how it happens. Does that strike you as compelling enough of an argument to take Tua over Justin Herbert, whether you're the Dolphins or somebody that trades up for that pick from Washington or from Detroit? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, I would take Tua regardless at this point, but I mean, it's a good argument. It certainly makes sense. At, at the end of the day, all of these guys are crapshoots. I mean, nothing. there's no such thing as a sure thing, hardly at all. So, you know, 
why not? You, if you're going to gamble, regardless, gamble on the higher upside. You know. So yeah, I, 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 I get what he's saying. Is there any argument, Rippy, that you can come up with for taking Justin Herbert over to a Tonga Bailoa? I mean, that drafting a quarterback high in the NFL draft is a high risk, high reward thing anyway. Like, Herbert's got all the measurables with no injury history to a probably a little more talented, but if you can't stay on the field, then you kind of waste your pick. I mean, I hear the argument. I wouldn't do it, but I get it. That is an interesting point because what are you drafting? Are you drafting a floor or a ceiling? Because if you're drafting a floor, then yeah, Justin Herbert's probably your guy. He was a multi-year starter, never really got hurt, has the measurables. He you know, looks good in shorts, as they said about Josh Allen. So if you're drafting a floor, if you want your team to not the, the least risk, then yeah, probably go Herbert. Because even though he disappeared in big-time games, made some mistakes, the numbers are good. The measurables are good. Apparently a really good kid, interviews really well. You know, he has all that stuff that you want from quarterbacks. But are you drafting a floor or a ceiling? Because he can, he's less risky, but the ceiling seems to be much higher with Tua. So what do you want? You, you remember all the negatives that, that people came up with with Josh Allen a few years ago? And, and, and we outlined some of them as well, right? I mean, you know, has never completed more than 50... Six or seven percent of his passes at any level that he's played. Well, that's turned out to be a pretty good pick for Buffalo. Yeah, he was still like 29th in deep ball accuracy last year, though. Yeah, but I mean, do you feel like Buffalo regrets picking Josh Allen? Not at all. Three years ago, and he had an offense that was built weird around him. I mean, now that he's got a receiver that's over five foot eleven, uh, we'll see what what he can do with that. There's also the running element that I don't feel like was sold as much in college. He's mobile. Yeah. Like, he runs a lot. Not Lamar Jackson mobile. It's a different type, but they do a lot of design runs for him. Yeah. And and very effective as a runner. Seaspire text line, I'd take Joe Burrow over Tua and Herbert. Well, that's not really even up for debate. I mean, everybody says that. And certainly Cincinnati Mike Brown's says on the that. Text line. Really... Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> Super Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. You want some uh, semi-good news from the SEC footprint? Anybody up for that? Like that. A letter sure, why not? from... The University of Missouri uh, System President and Interim Chancellor. Dear Mizzou community, we know that many, if not all of you, are anxious to return to campus, to your offices, your classrooms, your laboratories. We, too, are eager to get back to all the activity that makes Mizzou a special place. We have teams working on the planning required to bring our beautiful campus to life once it's possible. While remote classes will continue through the summer, we expect to return to in-person operations and classes this fall in consultation with public health officials and Mizzou's own healthcare experts. We are developing plans for our return to campus within a, quote, new normal, close quote, that we expect will be necessary. 
There's more information there. And he does go on to say, of course, the situation demands continued flexibility based on the evolving public health situation, etc. But Mizzou sending a letter to its entire constituent base, students, staff, faculty, etc., that says, we are planning on having in-person classes in the fall. Piggybacking off of that, Oklahoma starting Friday, hair salons, barbershops, all that can open. And then starting May 1st, restaurants, gyms, sporting events, churches can all reopen. I just saw that pop across. That's happening in Georgia tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, Uh, Tomorrow, Friday. Okay, Friday. Much to the chagrin of the mayor of Atlanta, the governor has said we're open for business in the state of Georgia. You need those, you know, essential bowling alleys to be open. <laughs> we talked about it a, a little bit yesterday, and, and you know, not to go down the Gallo Road, but I do find it, it frustrating to see that um, anytime someone talks about reopening things and trying to get back to normal with provisions, of course, none of this happens without provisions. I mean, you're seeing cities, and I mean, states are considering you have to wear a mask if you want to go into an establishment kind of law. I mean, that, that's popping up everywhere. There's going to be provisions when everything gets reopened. But you, especially in the media, you see the immediate dismissal of somebody that thinks we should reopen because they're stupid or they want to get people killed and not realizing the fact that 43% of Americans have either lost their jobs or lost wages because of coronavirus and that there are businesses that are closing their doors permanently every single day by the thousands and people that are losing their job by the tens of millions. People don't want to reopen the state to get at the liberals or whatever. People want to reopen states because if not, their livelihoods go away forever. And I just, I hate that it's become a politically divisive, you're dumb if you don't think like me because you lost your job and your income and you want the state to reopen so maybe you can get that back. You're stupid for thinking that. I hate that we've gone down that road. Mm. Well said, Michael Borky. Well said. I'll tell you what else is bogus. The list of essential businesses. I mean, you want to talk about some political favor backscratching that went into putting together the list of essential businesses from the Department of Homeland Security? That's all that was. It's not essential businesses. We need to redo the wording on that. If we redo the wording on it, I have no problem with it. It's the list of convenient businesses, like the list of businesses that we can least interrupt your quality of life and then still get away with shutting down some businesses to make it look like we're doing something. That's what that list is. I mean, it's just, it's because not essential businesses are the businesses that are the difference in life and death during a disaster. A pandemic, as the case here. And those are grocery stores, pharmacies, and medical facilities. Those are essential in matters of life and death. Period. Outside of that, not really. Not really. What about banks? Mm, yeah, I mean, I could hear an argument for banks. I certainly could hear an argument for banks. 
But you got a huge online banking component. It may not be the most convenient, but it's there. You can you, you can have business interactions without banks. But I mean, yeah, uh, uh, fair enough. Rippy wanted to be butt actually guy. No, I'm just saying, like it's a little <laughs> larger, but I get your point. I don't want to throw any businesses under the bus because I'm glad that everything didn't get shut down. But the delineation between essential and non-essential is more about convenience than it is life and death. Sports Talk Mississippi, 4 o'clock hour. Bill Bender from the Sporting News is next. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey on this Wednesday. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. At Ceasefire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID 19 and every day from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Let's go right now to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Our friend from Ohio with the sporting news, Bill Bender, joins us right now. Bill, how are you and your family holding up? Hey, we're hanging in there. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, always good to uh, always good to visit with you. We, we get real sports news for the next three days. Uh, starting with round one of the NFL draft, there's no question, no drama whatsoever around the uh, around the first pick. I know we've talked about Joe Burrow with you returning to his roots uh, in Ohio. How excited are the people of Cincinnati about this? Well, they should be. I mean, I think he incentivizes a real rebuild. He means so much to Southeast Ohio as a human being for all the work he's done, charity work, and raising money for food pantries and all those things. He's a just a good human being, and. Uh, I think on the field, obviously, you guys saw it at LSU last year. What what kind of athlete and you know quarterback and leader he can be? Do you think the success that he had last year at LSU translates to the NFL? Yeah, I do because he had a year in a Saints system, quarterback friendly. You know, good receivers, and he piled up the numbers. And I think that second year as a starter made a difference. He uh, there is a little bit, I guess. People can worry about the one-year fact, one wonder factor, but I, I don't think that's in play with him. I think he's more of a guy that, you know, he, he learned on the job at Ohio State and LSU, and those things should groom him for more success at the next level. There's so much debate right now about Tua, um, about and and I guess some of it is is well placed because he has not been able to stay healthy over the last couple of years at Alabama, but. This is part of what we do as we get ready for the draft also. like we, we look for reasons to tear players down. Do you buy into the Justin Herbert over to a Tonga Bailoa argument? I don't, but somebody might. And, and the reason why is obvious. You know, Obviously, Tua missed a lot of time because of the injuries. Um, because of the COVID virus, you, you don't have a chance to see him at a pro day, and I can understand that on some level. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a tough – thing for somebody to make that decision now me I, i'd go to i'd go with the skill set i'd go with the playmaker 
the conductor of that Alabama offense that's been so good for so long, and I would trust that. But I understand the thinking. You know, with me, with Herbert, I just think I get he has the tools, but if you're giving me the choice, I'd go with two in that one. Yeah, I heard Dan Orlovsky on ESPN, I think it was on Get Up this morning, making the argument that, you know, would you take Deshaun Watson or Mitch Trubisky? Would you take Carson Wentz or Mitch Trubisky? And obviously you would take Watson and, and Wentz over Trubisky, even though Trubisky has been more reliable in terms of health because you're getting a better player. Now, I don't know that that's like necessarily apples to apples when you're talking about Tua versus Herbert, but it kind of is because Herbert has stayed healthy, he's got the big frame, and Tua has had the injury issues, but it seems like the skill set is better with Tua. Yeah, I, I believe it is. And his vision is something that doesn't get talked about enough. I think his ability to see all sides of the field, to make plays inside the pocket and out. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that's going to carry a long way at the next level for him. So I look at Tua and I see a guy that's going to have success in the NFL. I think uh, I'm hoping he stays healthy because that's the one thing that, that robbed us. I mean, you think about it, if he doesn't get hurt this year, Alabama may have a chance to, to make the playoff as well. And, and they didn't, but, um, yeah, I, I think he's going to have a nice career in the NFL. I, and there, I get, though, for the people that are the critics that worry about his health, you totally understand that, too. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Bill Bender on your radio. He's at BillBender92 on Twitter, writes for the Sporting News, National College football writer. So, Bill, I know you're talking to people. I know you've got some of the same questions that I've got, that we've got, that others have, you know, about the college football season. What's it going to look like? What are people – uh, that you're talking to, what are they saying? Yeah, I, I, you know, I just think it's it's going to be fun. I, I think we do have a live sporting event. The presentation's obviously going to be an experiment in action because we just haven't had a draft like this ever. And uh, for me, I, I'm just going to enjoy it. You know, for me, it, just tracking the draft and and doing those kind of things. It's going to be fun to have a live sporting event to talk about, to tweet about, and see what these teams do. And I'm sure there'll be glitches along the way, but. You know, this hasn't been a perfect offseason by any measure, and at least the NFL is giving us something that, that we can latch on to for a little bit. All right, but what about in terms of college football? As we look toward the start of the college football season, you know, that first full weekend in September 5th, are you talking to people that are optimistic about playing that weekend? Do you think it's October? Do you think it's in the spring? Do you think it's not at all? What, what, are you, what sense are you getting? Um, we're going to have to wait and see. I think Saban had a good answer on Feinbaum today where he said, you know, he's not going to speculate because, yeah, we all know the – I'm parroting what he said. You know the importance of college athletics. You know the passion for football and what it means financially for the schools. But at the same time, you know that, um, you know, there needs to be a vaccine. The numbers need to flatten. We need to have a better understanding of uh, this virus so we can be as safe as possible to get those athletes on the field. So. I would say open mind, being flexible, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I hope we get football, Richard. I really do. I, I, I hate talking to you about COVID-19 over and over again, but I, I think we're all tired of talking about it, but we all realize the importance of safety. Yeah, and, and I feel, and, you know, if we were talking earlier about this. If you come with an optimistic view, viewpoint, you're automatically shouted down and told that you're dumb, and I'll just live with that because I feel like we're going to get a college football season – my, my question right now, or my bigger concern, is when that begins and what it looks like when it begins. Um, I, I don't know if we're talking about a season with no fans. 
if we're talking maybe the first few weeks of a season with no fans, if we're talking the season gets pushed to October, I mean, if you made me guess right now, I think I would guess a little bit of a delayed start. Like maybe we're not playing Memorial Day weekend. I'm sorry, Labor Day weekend. But by the first or second week of October, we're probably back on full go. I'm hoping, and I'm hoping against you know that, that that's how we we were able to do this. Um, it, it's, it's something that obviously um, I do think we might get a late start. Now the NFL can do that a little more easily logistically than college football, obviously, because of the hurdles. I mean, they have hard time Richard scheduling games after a hurricane sometimes. So yeah. I think if you see all that stuff, you, you just hope that uh, um, it happens. And, and I really do think it, it can. You know, Bill, here's one thing that I'm curious about. It, it, the, the South is beginning to kind of start the process of reopening. Um, Ohio, I think, is starting to begin the process of reopening, I, if I've read that correctly. But there are certain places where that's not going to happen for a while. It's not going to happen for a while in New York. It's not going to happen for a while in California. Is there a scenario where the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 and maybe even the Big 10 say, we're ready to go, and the Pac-12 goes, no, no, we're not going to go, and we say, that's fine, we'll play without you. Could that happen? I mean, it could, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I think it's, it's going to be, as Bill Hancock said, they're going to want everybody on the field. And everybody that can go go, and you know, different areas of the country obviously take football a little more seriously than others. You're obviously in the hotbed. We are too in Big Ten country. Um, so I think those two places will matter a lot, and hopefully, uh, you know, that they'll lead the way and, and get things started. And I think it can happen. What did you make of Bill Hancock's comments yesterday that were scrolling on repeat on the uh, the bottom line last night about my bosses are pleased with how the college football playoff is working right now, uh, which kind of seems to fly in the face of a lot of the reporting that uh, one of our colleagues, Brett McMurphy, at Watch Stadium has done uh, with an overwhelming num- number of athletics directors who are in favor of changing the playoff format. Yeah, I think, you know, if that format has changed um, – It'll happen down the line. I do think we'll get to eight eventually, but I wonder, you know, as I've said all along, nobody has a perfect 18 plan because they're all a little bit different. You know, does it include the group of five? How do you change conference scheduling? You know, what does it mean for the number of participants? All of those things are in play. So uh, for me, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I do think we'll get to eight. I don't know. I think it'll probably be after 2025. And, and in the meantime, I always tell people, enjoy the 14 format. It's been pretty good. It has been pretty good. Kind of like our conversations with you, Bill. Always fun, always pretty good. You're a, you're a good friend, and uh, nice visiting with you this afternoon. Hey, sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. That's uh, Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Bill Bender 92 on Twitter. Hit on a bunch of different topics. Bill, not controversial today, though. He says we've got to just, just hang on and wait. Hopeful that things get back to normal. We'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Quick timeout, and then right back with it. Let's talk about that when we come back. Is it all or nothing in terms of the Power Five? We'll kick it around. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm on this Wednesday afternoon. So I floated an idea out to uh, Bill Bender. 
and it's not completely out of left field. This is stuff that people are talking about. So, so you and I are talking about stuff on a daily basis. You're talking with your friends on a daily basis. If you love college athletics, about all the different possibilities. Guess what? That's what athletics directors are doing. That's what conference commissioners are doing. That's what assistant commissioners at conference offices are doing. That's what television broadcasters are doing. That's what network television executives are doing. I don't know if that makes you feel good or bad, but you guys realize that that, that that's what's happening? That the, the same things that we're kicking around on the radio and that when you know, you're having a group text message with your buddies or you're having a conversation on the phone with somebody in a different part of the country who's also a college football fan, and you're saying, well, well, what if you did this? And what if you did this? Those are the same conversations that are happening at the highest levels in college athletics. Now, the outcomes of those conversations when it's an executive at ESPN with a conference commissioner or a conference commissioner with another conference commissioner or two athletics directors, maybe the the outcomes of those conversations have a little more importance than you and your buddies talking about it. I I just don't know if that makes me feel better or not that those people that are in decision-making capacities are doing the exact same thing that we're doing on the radio and that all of us are doing with our friends. That makes sense. It does. There, two of them, though, that keep getting brought up, I just don't think are plausible. I mean, it's funny you mentioned that. I had a few buddies last night talking about, well, why can't they just play without fans? I mean, we're still all watching SEC football with no fans in the stands, but I think college football is just different than all the others. I think unless the campus is open, and maybe we're getting some forward movement on that with Missouri making their announcement today, obviously things could change, but... If their campus is open, then them playing football makes sense. But they're not doing it without that element there. So the no fans thing I don't think is happening in college football for an optics reason before anything else. And then also I don't think, unless it is the absolute last resort, and even then I don't know how they pull it off, I don't think they're starting a season in February. You can't play two full football seasons in 10 months. You can't do that. And then what would that do, like, recruiting-wise, what would it do to college basketball and other sports? Like, like I, I get the initial idea starting this season in February, and I'm not part, trying to play, like, shoot-it-down guy, but that would have, like, like how would you, what would ne- the next season look like? Well. You couldn't do it in the fall. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good point. So, so let's unpack that kind of one at a time. And, and so let's start with the timeline, right? Right now, you have games in September, October, November – Postseason starts in December and the postseason ends two weeks into January. So that's five months. So I don't think I don't think starting February is a possibility anyway. It would have to be in January. So if you play January, February, March, your postseason is in April, and then your postseason finishes two weeks into May, if you're going with the same timeline. And as it was put to me by an athletics person today. You can, and, and I'm just using a different set of words, but the same thing the two of you just said, given the physical nature of college football, you can't play two full football seasons in one calendar year if you care at all about student-athlete welfare.
So the, I'm not that's a, a drop dead date. Then there's going to have to be a date. I mean, when, and it's not you know start by it's start it's it's finish. It's like this is the last day we can we can have a college football season. If we don't have from this day to the start of next season, we can't do we can't do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I I guess I generally agree with that. Um, but they'll push it back in the fall. I don't think they're getting a full start in February. You know what I mean? You could end it in February, and I think you could sell that to people, right? Where there's enough space for the the players to recover and have like a semester where they don't play football and then start back in the fall. I don't think they're starting in February, but if you told them you could start the season in November, yeah, they're doing that. Sign us up, please. You just have to – there'd be no spring football. You probably have to allow the schools to have a – 100% agree. Have some sort of like preseason camp starting maybe two weeks or three weeks before you would want to start – normal fall camp. Yeah, I, I agree with those things. I'm not ready to say there's no like no possible way they're doing it in the spring. Which I know kind of flies in the face with what we started there when I said, you know, I talked to an athletics administrator person today and said, you know, that that's the issue is playing two if that's the only option, the only way to get a football season in then I think you would see that. But I think they're going to move heaven and earth for that not to be the case. So let me ask you what's palatable for you. All right, Borky, you, you, I think it was you that said a minute ago, or maybe it was Rippy, that the idea of not playing with fans for college football is kind of a non-starter because it just feels different. I think that's what we're going to see at least at the beginning of the year with the NFL. But at the college level, what if we said we're going to play a full 12-game season and it's going to start... October 1st, or whatever that first Saturday is in October. Let's see. Um, Just for the sake of being accurate, it's going to start on October 4th. But for the games that are played in the month of October, we're not going to have fans. Could, Could you get on board with the idea of no fans for the first month of the season, and then you fill up the stadiums the rest of the way? Is campus open? Yes. Then It's the only way you do this. I think I don't... See, I must have said that poorly. I don't think it's so much about the fans being in the stands. I think it's the campus being open. Because you can't sell the concept of student-athlete when you're forcing them to play because of the financial implications when none of their fellow students are allowed to be on their campus. If campus is open, no fans in the stands, I think you can pass that and sell that and everybody would be okay with it. It's the open or closing of the campus, I think, is the starter slash non-starter for college football. Because the NFL, I fully expect them, and I, we'll get into this later on this afternoon maybe, I think they're starting as scheduled. Unless they are told, hey, in three weeks you can have fans in the stands, just hold out. If it's, we're not sure when you can welcome fans back, I think they're starting the day they're scheduled to start. And and they'll survive. And they're too big to fail, and, and you can write the columns about how it's tone deaf, but guess what, everybody's watching, it's, it's just too big. And they're not dependent on fans. Yeah, it'll hurt them a little bit financially, but these are all major cities. They don't need the football team to survive unless you're Green Bay. I think they're starting the day the season's supposed to start, unless they're told, hey, in a few weeks, you can have fans in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and, what, and what you said about the colleges, obviously, is, is very true, too. I, I think that... 
I don't want to be definitive guy. I certainly don't want to have to come back and issue a, uh, you know, an Apple Notes statement saying that I was just speaking, you know, extemporaneously or whatever. But it, it does feel like, and I don't want to go too far down the political path either. But Missouri, by and large, it is a relatively liberal university. We'll just we'll just say that. And if they are willing to come out here on April the twenty second and say we feel like we're going to get school school everything back to normal. That feels like a really good sign to me. And so if that's the case, I feel like we might be able to get to the college football season unscathed. If, if they're willing to come out on April 22nd and say that, if that university is, I, 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 that, that does, that's a sign of optimism to me. Not to, not to pick nits, especially on a political road with you, I think our perception that Missouri is a liberal school mm-hmm. is a function of its journalism department and – the sports writers who come from there and kind of how we classify them. Well, maybe, but also I think about the protest they had up there a few years ago, and and that was you know that that's what's maybe setting my perception of it more than anything else. Fair enough. Um, I get what you're saying. Okay, so so let's let's stay down that road. I think it's safe to assume. Hmm. Is it really ever truly you know safe ha- to assume? Yeah, you, you, you know what happens when you assume, right? Yeah. I think it's safe to assume that Ole Miss and Mississippi State, that Alabama and Auburn, that Arkansas, Missouri, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, Texas A&M, will do everything in their power to have students on campus at the end of August, beginning of September for the start of the fall semester. I left out one school. I did not say Vanderbilt. I'm not as convinced that Vanderbilt will go students back on campus. So let's just press pause on this conversation right now. And we'll return to this in just a second because I've got some questions that that I want to ask about students being back on campus and what could that could mean for college football sports talk mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm we'll be right back back with you sports talk mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm so i think i named all 13 sec schools if i missed one sorry and i said i was going to make the assumption that 13 SEC schools were going to do every single thing in their power to have students on campus this fall. All right, time out. I, I promised I was going to do something, and I just forgot. Um, Let's see. We have Spence, who is a longtime listener in Brookhaven, who has got his girls in the car with him, Anna and Avery. They are six-year-old girls. They are twins, and they are listening to Sports Talk Mississippi. Anna, Avery, thanks for listening. We hope you will make this a part of your routine, and uh, you'll be with us every single day for the rest of your lives. We're not going anywhere. And take it easy on your dad. He's raising you right listening to the radio in the afternoons. So, no, cool. That's really cool. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Avery. Thanks for listening. And, uh, Spence, always good to hear from you. 
Maybe I'm wrong on the Vanderbilt thing. Maybe Vanderbilt desperately wants to get students back on campus like everybody else. I, I don't know why I feel differently about them. I just kind of do. Well, isn't the reliance on Vanderbilt football in the area, I mean, not anywhere close to, I mean, pretty much everyone else in the league. You know, Athens is a, a sizable place. Columbia, South Carolina is pretty big. Lexington, Kentucky is pretty big. Knoxville is pretty big. But without football, those areas hurt without Vanderbilt football I mean Nashville doesn't even notice that it's there let alone if it was gone so I mean do you think there's a potential they just don't have the motivation to you know bring students back and open everything up and and get football back running oh we'll stay with remote classes for the year because we don't have to open everything up because we're not financially dependent on the thing that happens during the fall semester yeah no I, I would say that Vanderbilt is the only campus in the SEC and Nashville is the only city in the SEC that is not dependent on an economic influx during football season. Maybe Lexington, because you do have the horse races that are going on in the fall. But I would say even Lexington has, I mean, you know, the hotels and the restaurants and the bars and, you know, that that community relies on having five or six or seven Saturdays where you have an additional 50,000 people. It would hurt yeah, maybe them, not, not cripple them, right? Like, compared to yeah. a couple others? It would be crippling, absolutely devastating. In Oxford, Starkville, Tuscaloosa, Auburn, Fayetteville, Athens. It would hurt really, really badly in Gainesville. I don't know that it would cripple Gainesville, but it would hurt it would hurt badly in College Station. It might be crippling in College Station. I mean, for all the jokes that we make about, oh, all the money, all the money, all the money, uh, I don't know if you've looked at oil prices. They're not great right now. And College Station, Brian, while, yes, it is surrounded by Houston and Austin and big cities all around, I mean, that's a college. Uh, college Station, Brian, is dependent upon Texas A&M. And it's 60,000 students. Columbia, Missouri, absolutely dependent. It would be crippling for Columbia. Columbia, South Carolina, Borky, I don't know. But I mean, even tough but not crippling. Tough but not crippling. Even it's, I mean, it's the capital city, so it would survive. But when you're in Columbia, you feel like you're in the University of South Carolina's town, even though it's big. That's right. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, Lexington's population uh, just over three hundred thousand in the city. Metro five hundred thousand. Uh, Gainesville, Florida, one hundred and thirty thousand plus. Sure. the The question I was getting to with all of this, let's say the SEC's on board. That as a you know, Vanderbilt can do whatever it wants to do. Knoxville is the other community I didn't mention. Knoxville, big city, dependent on University of Tennessee football. Period. Talking about a 100,000-seat stadium. So let's say for a second that the SEC says, we're in. Our states are open. Our students are back in school. We're ready to play football. And the Big 12 says that. You're talking about Fort Worth, Austin, Lubbock, 
Um, Waco. Waco. Norman. Stillwater. Ames. I'm sure there's something I'm missing. You get the idea. Those communities say, our students are back, we're in. I don't know. I, I feel like the Big Ten is trending in that direction as well. I mean, maybe Northwestern's kind of a eh, Chicago, bad cases. I mean, maybe University of Michigan because of Detroit and its proximity, Ann Arbor and its proximity to um, to Detroit. Maybe there's the some governor there would we'll not say, be very keen on – she's something. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. She is – Donald Trump's favorite person on the planet, I would think. She is hand-delivering him the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Hey, Dad, to use your words, not to make this political. <laughs> I think I just did. You, you kind of did. It's all right, though. My, my, my point in, in all this, and I'm kind of getting a roundabout way, I mean, let's say it's three of the Power Five conferences or four of the Power Five conferences, but the pac is an issue. Because you got multiple schools in California, and the governor says we're not doing it. Can you have a college football season without one of the Power Five conferences? You say, look, three of the five are ready to go. We're good. We'll have it without you. Or 13 to the 14 in the SEC, 12 of the 14 in the ACC, 8 of the 12 in the Big 12, all t- or in the Big 10. Uh, all twelve or all ten in the Big Twelve and four Pac twelve schools are ready to go. That's enough. We're gonna play. Let's go. Can you do that? Don't you have to do that? Does an entire conference have to be on board to do it, or can it be school by school? Uh, let's play that scenario out. Let's pretend that Vanderbilt says no. We're not opening our campus, which means we can't play football. Doesn't Greg Sankey say sorry? We'll play a we'll, we'll rework our schedule a little bit and you guys can find another conference. Sorry. Well, we, maybe you don't even kick them out of the league. Maybe you just say okay, if you're not going to participate, that's your decision and you don't get a we'll cut of the revenue. Your, we'll hold your place, but you also don't get a cut of the revenue. That and Fine. that's that's where that's what's going to get people saying, "Oh, oh, never mind." I, I was just I was just kidding. Yeah. Um. Uh, you can see this coming from a mile away. Buddy of mine sent me a message. I'm pretty sure that we've had college football without the Pac-12 for the last five or so years, anyway. Oh. <laughs> Gavin News. I mean, it, it's not like he cares, but he walked into one. The governor of California talking about how he didn't envision. Uh, their college campuses to play football games with fans in the stands, and all of the replies to that statement were, uh, well, the Pac-12 doesn't do that already anyway, so who cares? Yeah. I mean, you could get by, like, without in, any playoff, like, automatic qualifier system, but, like, it's not essential I mean, only... that the Pac-12 participates. It would might yeah. probably mess up some non-conference games. Probably like so. Ones without looking at the schedule. It, it, yeah, it most likely would. Um, why do I feel like there's a meaningful early SEC Pac-12 game? Am I crazy? Yeah, Georgia, Virginia. Like it, 
If this had happened last year and you didn't oh, get Alabama, Alabama Southern Oregon, Cal in week one. Ohio State yeah. goes to Oregon in week two, I think. So yeah. a couple. That's an easy fix, though, right? We'll just um, – Alabama can tell Georgia State that if you want to play us, you'll play us week one. Sorry, I don't know who you've got scheduled, but uh, that's your only opportunity. We're playing Ohio State in week two. Bingo. Fixed. Ohio State, instead of going to Eugene, Oregon, is headed to Tuscaloosa in week two. Who's on board? Yeah, I'm in. And what gets lost in all of this, we brought it up briefly. I want to be the commissioner of college football. (laughs) I just fixed the major problem in four seconds. We need one of those anyway. But what gets lost in all this is it's still April 22nd. That's a good point. We've got two months before any kind of real decision needs to be made about college football. So much is going to happen in these next two months. You think you can wait that long? I think you got to have a decision by Middle June. Of June. Okay. I can be on board with June 15. I feel like June 1st is probably when you need to make a decision, but I'll give you to June 15th. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Reagan Jackson says go to 10 games, a 10-game schedule, and just have Power 5 versus Power 5. Look, I mean, I mean uh, Borky, you said we needed to set a deadline a minute ago. So what what's the what's the deadline that we're setting? Do we do we like open up a database, database? And say, school by school, you have to let us know by June 15th, are you playing football or not? Or is it conference by conference? And then once we figure out who's in, we say, all right, we're going to build a great big schedule. And bingo, here we go. I mean, it doesn't feel like that's the way it's going to work. No. And I don't... Because they're... There, I mean, there's so many moving pieces here because what about the Sun Belt? What about Conference USA? And what about the American Athletic Conference? Yeah, what do we do with non-conference games? Do we continue to play those? Because, look, whether you like this or not, this is the reality. For the Power 5 schools and maybe the American. Playing the conference games is the most important thing, right? Getting your conference games in. But for all of the non-Power 5 schools, the most important thing is playing your non-conference games because those are the games where you get a check for playing on the road. That There is an element of importance to those particular games for... Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, for when Southeast... I mean, Southeast Missouri State needs to come to Oxford to play Ole Miss in week two, I think it is, because they need the check. Ole Miss needs Southeast Missouri State to come to Oxford because in week two, with a new head football coach and all of this excitement, there were going to be 55,000 people there, and they were going to make money. So that's why Ole Miss needs to play it. 
So the, those non-conference games that we kind of scoff at and we roll our eyes at and we say these are the boring weekends in college football, they play an important role. What do we do with them? Or can we set all that aside a second and say, nah, we just got to do conference? <clears throat> so here's the idea that just popped in my head. It, I think you set a date. I, there's so many variables. So considering the variables that exist. <laughs> See what I mean? Uh, right. But but you, you find a date. Let's just call it June 15th and say every conference, figure out what campus is going to be open, what school is in on playing football this year. Assuming that things happen over the next two months that allows this to go on. Let's say the Louisville thing that they announced today really works and we can go back to relatively normal life. If that happens, you you decide, you get every conference to give a list to whoever's making this decision and how many teams are in and out. And then you determine whether or not your schedule can be built in full. And if it can't, you go into this database and talk. basically rework the schedule for one year. You get everybody on a certain date to tell you whether they're in or they're out. And if all of the teams on your schedule are in, you play your schedule. And if they're not, you find another team that may be impacted by having a school that's not. And you try to work together to fill your schedule as needed. Okay. What do you guys make of that? It's brilliant if you ask me, but, you know. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's as good an idea as any, but like we've been saying, the variables are, are such that it's it's impossible to, to come to a, a real conclusion on just about anything at this point. And that's why, you know, I think, though, that, you know, when we're talking on May 22nd, I think we're going to have a, a much clearer idea, and, and then a plan like that could probably, possibly be put into pay, place. But for now, I, you know, I, we're not anywhere near – where we, you know, the, any kind of drop dead date. So, you know, I'm I'm willing to just play it out and see what happens, and, and when we get there, we will get there. You know, I, I understand that you know if you're listening to this or you're kind of thinking of scenarios as long as as we're talking about this, you go, and this thing's just spinning in circles. Yeah, you're you're just you're talking in circles. You're spinning your wheels. But again, and, and and I'm telling you because I've asked and I've been, I've I've had these conversations. This is what athletics directors are talking about with each other in conference calls, but also offline, not in official conference calls. It's what TV executives are talking about. It's what conference commissioners are talking about. You've got commissioners who are signing people under him. Go figure out every possible scenario and make a plan for each. How do you do that? I mean, like we're sitting here talking through it, and what do we do? It's like, oh, yeah, but what about non-conference? Oh, well, what about conference games? Well, what if you got one school that says they're not going to participate? It's insane. Sports Talk Mississippi, 5 o'clock hours next. Mississippi. 
streaming at supertalk.fm, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour, middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippy. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from C Spire Business. Featuring, uh, featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. With CSpire Business, it's easy to give your team the tools to get things done no matter where they are. Share files in seconds, chat on any device, meet virtually, and more all over secure cloud-based solutions with dedicated local support. Get your organization remote work ready today at cspire.com slash business. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. This one is interesting. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You've got some pretty good stuff happening right now at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Ford will uh, defer three payments and make three payments for you on uh, the purchase of a new vehicle in this uncertain time. Plus, if your vehicle needs servicing, you can take the worry out of that because at Ford, they're open. College football fix. Sports Illustrated ran this story. And, Rippy, I think you can probably bring some unique insight to this. So, here's part of it. Before the world turned upside down, University of Mississippi senior linebacker Sam Williams would eat five to six meals per day at campus dining halls, each one necessary to fuel his six-foot-three-inch, 250-pound body. His scholarship came with a meal plan, ensuring that he could get the uh, calories necessary to train and perform at the level expected of him. But like many of the 460,000 NCAA athletes who were suddenly sent home last month, He now has to scramble to afford the food he needs. Um, Sam Williams voiced his frustration via Twitter at the end of last month. Quote from Twitter, We worked so hard to get out of the hood, but forced back to the hood. Still got to pay rent, so all our money be gone, and I can't swipe my ID nowhere in Alabama. Then if we get help, it's a violation. I just don't understand. Rippy, you spent uh, a lot of time on a story about Sam Williams back in the fall. Uh, you talked to people from his hometown. You kind of dug into his story a little bit. It's a difficult road, but college football has been Sam Williams' lifeline. This is kind of an angle that we haven't really thought about or talked about to this point. Yeah, and presumably it was going to be a one-way street. I mean, the premise of part of it was just that he was never going to, like, like he hadn't been back home since he arrived at Ole Miss. I think he was an early enrollee. I can't remember off the top of my head. I believe so, uh, and wasn't planning on doing it uh, in the foreseeable future. And so this has obviously kind of forced him to do that. And yeah, I mean, I talked to a couple people about this, and like it's the food. It's the food. I mean, some of them it, it's difficult to communicate. Obviously, the cell phone and stuff like laptops and thing like things like that with getting schoolwork done and where they get it done and all of that 
it's it's a logistical nightmare and like I don't even know if eating counts as logistics, but you get my point. It's 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 not good. Yeah. Hey Dad, I'm sure that there are Mississippi State players that are dealing with this. I'm sure there's Southern Miss players that are dealing with uh, comparable situations. I'm sure that it's the case at Tennessee and Georgia and Florida and Alabama and Auburn, a- everywhere. It's a part of college football that we don't talk about a lot. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a situation where you know it's not going to be unique to any one school. It's going to be a-, a prevalent thing across the country. And-, and at the end of the day, you know, this is where the NCAA is supposed to step up and, and help its student athletes. And it looks like you know they got a little bit of help here in what they're saying, what Keith Carter said. So, yeah, I, I, this is just one of those things, you know, you, you just don't you don't prepare for this kind of stuff. Nobody signs their, their, their letter of intent and goes through all this thinking, okay, now what do I do if there's a pandemic and the, and the economy shuts down for a month? Nobody ever thinks about stuff like that. And, uh, unfortunately, this is what happens. So, hopefully, uh, the NCAA in the next few weeks will – got to imagine this is something else that's coming that they're going to say, look – Everybody can do this for their student-athletes right now. Hopefully that's the case. So Sam Williams uh, spoke with Sports Illustrated via phone last week, uh, and he said, I still need to pay my rent back there in Oxford. And so after that and my car insurance, it's whatever's left to pay for groceries. Uh, The story goes on to say that according to a report uh, on Tuesday out of Temple University, 24% of the 452 Division I athletes surveyed in the fall of 2019 suffered food insecurity in the previous 30 days. And those are numbers from before the pandemic. Keith Carter told Sports Illustrated, obviously Keith, the athletics director at Ole Miss, that when he learned of Sam Williams' situation, the school tried to adapt on the fly, said any athlete who asks can now receive a weekly meal card valued at $105, an amount that had to be approved by the compliance office that can be used at a Fast casual restaurants, something like Subway, uh, said that there is a grocery store option that could be added in the future. And Carter went on to say, we couldn't load those meal cards up with unlimited dollars, if you will, so we had to find a number that we felt comfortable with and that we could use. It's not the same when we have them on campus, whereas there's just, there's just so many ways that they have access to so many resources. But it, the article did go on to say that not every school has done that, that for a lot of athletes, even receiving aid in the first place is complicated. And the NCAA did not respond to a, a request for comment for this article. I'm pretty blown away by a couple of texts we've gotten, to be honest. I, I am too. Okay. One of which we probably should not read on the air. Uh, one of which we, de- we definitely can't read on the air. Um, we'd get kicked off of the air if we did. But I- I'm just... One of them starts with, he sounds like a whiner. And the other one is, I had to work. He has to play lighter. College football players, um, a-, a lot of them come from places where they lack in the same resources that that I was lucky enough to have when I was growing up. I didn't have a a home that I, that I was unsure where my next meal was coming from or anything like that. Some of these kids are, are raised in these kind of circumstances. And the thing about being a college football player is, yes, being a college football player is good. 
Like, they have a lot of advantages. They have a really nice dorm to live in or sometimes an apartment. They, they get food every single day. That, that does happen. That's real. But they don't get a dime. Joking aside, they don't. A guy like Sam Williams is not commanding $500,000 on the black recruiting market. He gains no money being a college athlete. Zero. And so when his, his meal plan is taken away from him and he goes back to a home that is unstable, not stable like the one that basically, not basically, most of us listening right now didn't have to deal with the life situation that this young man had to deal with. When he's I would forced, say about 100% of people did not. Very close to 100%. Didn't have to deal with what this young man had to deal with growing up. And instead of even getting the opportunity to stay at his savior from his life, which was college football, he has to go home again, where he has no idea where his next meal potentially is coming from, a place where there's not financial resources, and he can't just go home and lay on the couch with mom and dad like like I could. He can't do that. And to, to say that, oh, he'll just have to play lighter, or I had to work for food, you can't work as a college athlete. You can't make money. You're not allowed to. So, yes, he got a meal given to him every day, being a football player at Ole Miss. But that has been temporarily taken away from him. And he is not allowed to make any money to pay for it. He's not a whiner. He's telling the truth. Open your eyes to other people's sad and unfortunate and miserable circumstances that a college kid can do nothing about until he's not in college anymore. He can't make any money to pay for food. He's not allowed. He's not a whiner. Wake up. Well, and specifically can't make any money to pay for food right now because this is not exactly the time to be looking for a job. Who's hiring right now? Well, part of the article, if I'm not mistaken, said... I'm going to look like like I'm going to try to find a job at Walmart or something. You got to do what you got to do. You know, given this pandemic, Walmart also not the safest place to work or anywhere for that matter, you know. That's true. I read a story today that said that um, there was an infected person in a restaurant. And because the air conditioning was strong, other people in the restaurant that didn't actually come in contact with the person also got the virus. It spreads that easily. So... Somebody pointed out that you know this is a K through 12 issue as well, and it is. You've got 100. Um, it, it's scary, sad that you've got third graders who are not being fed. I'm with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott. Rippy, thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. That is a fascinating topic uh, and, and really an interesting story at Sports Illustrated. Sam Williams, kind of the, uh, the central character in the story with, uh, you know, one of the things that hasn't gotten a pu- lot of publicity, and that's, you know, these student athletes who were um, – are dealing with being hungry and not having a safe place to put their head on a pillow at night. Um, I, I was kind of ran out of time. You know, a lot of our school districts in Mississippi, or maybe I should say some of our school districts, because I don't know how many many it is, but I think it's a lot, are working really hard to make sure that students who normally rely on 
school breakfast and school lunch for two of their three meals in a day still have access to those meals. And I cannot applaud enough the the workers who have continued to work through this health crisis to make sure that those meals are still getting out because, you know, the... The, the sad reality is, and probably for most of us this is not the case, but the sad reality is there are a lot of kids in the state of Mississippi who rely on the school food service program. The breakfast that they get, the lunch that they get for their primary sustenance. And you have got a lot of school workers um yeah I, I know that where i live it has been uh some of the bus drivers and some of the cafeteria workers who have been the ones who have been serving those lunches and making sure that um those are there for distribution every day and one of the things we i mean we don't talk about this but i know for a fact that you have teachers and you have cafeteria workers who worry sick during the school year on Friday afternoons about whether or not the kids who rely on breakfast and lunch at school during the school year, during the week, if, if they're going to have a, a reasonably healthy meal between lunchtime on Friday and breakfast on Monday morning. That's... It's a real thing. And so for the school districts that are um, applauding that, uh, I'm sorry, are making sure that that continues to happen despite the fact that we're not in school, fantastic. Good on you. Good, good, good on you. Keep up the great work. Hey, Dan, you look like something hits you wrong. I'm just reading some of these texts. They're just incredible. <laughs> Don't read the comments. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I know. should follow my own advice. Yeah. No, we appreciate you uh, interacting. And it's not that, uh, I mean, we're fine with a dissenting viewpoint. You disagree with something we're saying, that's fine. But if you send something that's hateful or is derogatory or is sitting right the, there on the edge of being racist... Yeah, we're not reading it on the air. I mean, if it makes you feel better to send it, so be it. It's not going anywhere. We're not necessarily going to out you. Um, in in the how you can come up with that comment when this kid is a story of somebody pulling themselves out of a terrible situation that, as Rippy said, I mean, everybody listening right now did not have to deal with. Um, we should celebrate the fact that he's speaking out for for what's right. Or just the fact that he exists, that he's become something and someone and and making something of himself coming from those circumstances because a lot of people don't do that. He should be celebrated. Instead, we get that kind of crap. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. And everybody's entitled to their opinion. Uh, You know, you think whatever you want to. But, you know, just going around and labeling somebody as... I don't know. Whatever. And when you've been through what this specific athlete has well, been through... Uh, uh, Rippy, uh, let's what, not talk around it. Rem- remind people of what it is that Sam Williams has been through. 
I'm talking a little bit. He, uh, pretty unstable home life, moved in with a a friend, basically, or a family friend, and there's his parents that he met at school, uh, switched schools, uh, had a, his basically, like, not actually his brother, but like someone he considered a brother, uh, get shot uh, in the crossfire of gun violence, had his two-year-old niece also take a bullet uh, to the head in the crossfire of gun violence. Uh, kind of bounced around for a while, didn't really have anywhere to go. Uh, upbringing was pretty unsafe. Uh, didn't really start football, like played there a year, like thought he was going to be a basketball player, didn't really cut it there. Uh, ended up in football, went the JUCO route, had to work pretty hard to get you know qualified and get through all of that just to kind of get to Ole Miss. And uh, the fact that he's at Ole Miss has really kind of changed and saved his life in some ways. Yeah, it's uh, it's an absolutely remarkable story. And, you know, not everybody has a story that's exactly like Sam Williams. There, there are a lot of stories that are out there that are unique. Um, but Sam is not alone in that he's the only one that when he has had to leave campus because of this global pandemic is going back to a situation that is far less stable uh, than what he's going through while he's in college. It's just, I mean, I'm talking about it all the time, right? I mean, that that for some, and we like to, self-included, college athletes are entitled, they need to be paid, they're not getting enough, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay, sure. And, and punchline of the student-athlete thing. But for some, I, I don't know what the percentage is, 5%, 10%, 30%, 50%, I, I, I don't know. College athletics is a lifeline that gets them to the rest of their life. It equips them with the ability, that, and I'm using them collectively, never mind the sport, an education a diploma, a safe place to put your head on a pillow at night, coaches that care about you, administrators that care about you, fans that care about you, um, medical care, insurance, meals, and a bridge to the rest of your life. That's the thing about the big business of college athletics. So, right, I mean, we, we, we use the NCAA as a punchline all the time. And, and again, I'll raise my hand as, as guilty. And we talk about what a big business that college sports is. There are people that exist in college athletics who genuinely care about student-athletes, who don't think the term student-athlete is a punchline who see the value in a college education, who see the value in intercollegiate athletics and believe that that sets people up for the rest of their lives, if taken advantage of. Maybe we got to talk about that more. Put your money where your mouth is and start a fundraiser. You have the voice and you reach lots of people. The NCAA sure. doesn't allow that. A lot of ineligible athletes at State and Ole Miss if we did that, but sure. That's the exact point of this conversation. That's why Sam Williams is speaking out. It's because they are not allowed to do anything like that 
to get help. That's the point. Yes, a lot of you had to work in college. I did. I worked in college. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I had loans. Got a nice letter from Fannie Mae the other day. I mean, it's we all did that to some degree. But the difference is I was allowed to make money in college. That didn't affect my eligibility to get my degree. I, I worked four different jobs when I was in college at one point. They were odd jobs just to make a little money here and there, but I did it because I was allowed to. And I saved up a little bit. When I left college, I had a, like a thousand bucks in my bank account. I was allowed to do that. And that was after paying every all my bills and everything. I had, I had a little bit of money saved up. These athletes are not allowed to do that. They can't do it. And when they try to get help in a, such a unique time like this, most of them are told no. And they have to go to a home where it's not there either. And it's not their fault. They're, they're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids still. It's not as easy as you make it out to be. And for some people, that's just because you don't know. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you just don't know, it's okay. Hopefully you're learning something. And I don't mean that in a condescending way at all. I mean that genuinely. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Heisman winning quarterback and national champion Joe Burrow will be the number one overall pick by the Bengals. That's according to a source in Cincinnati at Fox 19. Same source close to the situation said the Bengals informed Burrow of their intent to make him their top pick during extended conversations in recent weeks. wonder how much pressure that takes off of Joe Burrow. I mean, now, was there really I any pressure? I bet he knew for a while, but not really. Yeah. Like, you know, but you don't. Well, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, like, knowing but not really knowing. Like, there's probably still an element of, until I hear my name called, it hasn't really happened. Yeah. But if the Bengals have told him, you're our guy, we're picking you number one, I would imagine he's sleeping pretty well at night. I mean, yeah. Whereas... I don't think he was he was he was hurting for confidence on that though. But you don't think there's still just like a I mean, even if you won the Heisman and even if you won a national championship and even if you're supremely confident, if all you had is good interviews, good conversations, you feel like you're on the right page, but you haven't gotten that Yep, you're our guy. You got nothing to worry about. Don't you think you'd still have a little bit of but am I in the back of your mind? Uh, I mean, it's just different because not only are, are is it you know I feel confident, but I can read if I'm Joe Burrow, you can read any mock draft and everybody. There is no, uh, there is nobody saying he wouldn't be picked first. You you can't find that mock draft. Nobody is willing to take that that hot take. So I mean, I don't know. I, I you know I'm not going to try to speak for the kid, but. I, I and from what I little I know of Joe Burrow of, of watching him and the way he's he's acted and you know he that is a guy who is not lacking for confidence you know he he walks in the room knowing he's the guy so I, I don't I don't think it was that big a deal to him probably from the Miami Herald 
The Dolphins, like other teams, have been unable to get their medical people around Tua Tonga-Vailoa since the Indianapolis Combine in February because the NFL rules installed as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. But Dolphins doctors examined Tonga-Vailoa extensively in Indianapolis, and the club gave the former Alabama quarterback a passing grade on his physical. That's according to multiple sources. The Dolphins were satisfied that Tonga-Vailoa is on course to recovery from the hip injury and the surgery that derailed his 2019 season with the Tide. So even though Tua's got a significant injury history, that includes multiple surgeries. He has overcome a major hurdle with the Dolphins and with their medical team, which means they absolutely could pick Tonga So why are we getting all these stories about Justin Herbert? You think the Dolphins are taking him? Taking Tua? Yes. Yes, if he's there at five, they will take him, I believe. Do you think he will still be there at five? Yes. All right, so give me the top five picks. Burrow one to Cincinnati. Yeah. Washington at number two is who? Chase Young? I I think it'll be Chase Young. Does Detroit make the pick at three? I think they they everything that they have said that they want to trade out of it, and if they don't, I don't know who they take, but I doubt it. I doubt it's Tua if they're trying to trade they, out of it. I'm interested in Detroit's decision though, because I mean maybe there's a market for Stafford after this season, and so you draft your quarterback of the future, groom him for a season, and then deal Stafford while he's still got some uh, capital's not the word, but still got some value uh, on a trade market somewhere. They lost both their starting corners, so would Jeff Okuda make sense here? He's the the e, the most common mock choice there. It feels like it feels like it's 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 a very uh, safe pick if they stay there. Yeah. Okay. Giants at number four. Who's the best O lineman on the board? Yeah. Offensive tackle. Got to protect. So they're going to go. Got to protect Danny Dimes. Was it Jedrick Willis? Is that sure? Kind of the thought on being number one. Yeah. Uh, what's the other potential first round offensive lineman? So Jedrick Willis is a possibility. Tristan Wirfs, uh, I think, is Andrew Thomas possibility. But a- most likely, it's Jedrick Willis as the first. Yeah. Here's a crazy idea. Miami trades back. And signs Cam Newton. Ooh. Maybe. I know it's like you're passing on a quarterback with injury history to sign a quarterback with injury history, but I I am I'm all in on this idea that Miami executed the tank perfectly. And it's it's kind of silly that they traded what is going to be potentially the highest paid offensive tackle in the NFL in Tunsil, but they did that. I mean, they gave Kiko Alonso away for nothing. They just gave all these players away. They've got 14 picks this year. And three in the first round. Yeah. I mean, if they were to trade back Borky out of the number five pick, could they get two more first round picks? They could at least get an additional one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
They have a ton next year as well. Yeah. 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 Trade back. Here, Vegas, trade back. I'll give you five. You give me another first rounder. Another first rounder for next draft. Give me or your first you, round pick next year. The Raiders, the Raiders have two first round picks. Would they oh. be willing to give up uh, the twelve and the nineteen? I don't know if they would or not to get the five. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I but, but okay. Wh- why would the Raiders be trading for five to five to, to get Tua? Yep. Moving to a new that, city, got to make a splash, got to get people okay. to care, and what better way to do that than bring the flashy national championship winning Hawaiian quarterback in? I mean, it's a roll of the Vegas? dice, but it fits Las Vegas. Yeah, Vegas. I, that's just an example, Rippy. I don't know, but if I'm Miami, I'm fielding those offers. Doesn't Miami want that same bump, though? Hey, we went and got our quarterback, and then we added an offensive lineman, and we added a wide receiver in the first round, and then we had 11 more picks after that. <laughs> uh, I th- tank again. Tank for Trevor. I think you could See do you it pull with it Cam off. Newton. I mean, I, it wouldn't be the same because you didn't tank for Cam, but I think you could do it with him. And it, there's questions about his health, of course, but, I, I mean – you could build such a talented roster around a quarterback like him that has shown you that he can win in the NFL. He's not the best. I mean, he went to a Super Bowl. He may not win you a Super Bowl, but man, you could build a really, really, really talented roster around him. And if he's healthy, you're winning games. They won five last year, losing on purpose with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um. Obviously, I missed it yesterday because I was out. Did is Tampa significantly better for getting Gronk? They have top five Super Bowl odds. Their odds to win the Super Bowl are even with New Orleans. Their problem is they've got really good offenses in their division. Uh, so if they can make the playoffs, it, they weren't great defensively last year. They were put in bad spots all the time because they had a quarterback that was an idiot. But it, if they can play competent defense... I mean, even the Saints, who I think have the best defense in that division, uh, are going to have a really hard time stopping them. There's just too much talent. Did they get better because of adding Gronk? Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And you probably have a trade piece in one of the other two tight ends that they have. He only had three touchdown catches last year. I mean, not this past season, but the season before. Career low. Is that because he was bored or hurt or yes? He was definitely injured, I would say. I mean, he was good in the Super Bowl. He had six catches and a touchdown. Probably the most important catch of the game. But the only, what set up the only touchdown of the game. Um, But you're not getting 26-year-old Gronk. You're getting 31-year-old Gronk. Kind of like you're getting... 41-year-old Brady, who just took a redshirt year with Gronk. It's also less of a gamble, though, because of who else they have on the roster. I mean, you have two starting caliber tight ends already on the team. They're pretty Does that loaded, mean he plays fewer snaps? Does that mean he plays more in the slot so he doesn't have to do all the blocking stuff that injures tight ends? 
Yeah, maybe so. They're more than, they're deep too. It's not just like they have one good receiver and one good tight end. It's they have two and a half good borderline elite receivers and three it's really Mike good Evans tight ends. and Conley and hey, then Godwin. Gronk. I'm sorry, Godwin, not Conley. OJ Howard and Cam Brate. Whew. Yeah, and a quarterback that's not going to turn it over a bunch. They can protect him and give him time to throw? That might be a fun offense to watch. I think they're going to draft offensive line help in the first round. and then That's probably a good plan. Probably a good plan. Number 14 in the first round. Offensive lineman. Wardstock, Mississippi will be.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.